Hello, and welcome to At Home in Muskoka, a podcast by the Muskoka Community Land Trust. I'm your host, Sandy Martin. Kate Monk is the Vice President of Strategy and Corporate Programs for Explorer's Edge, otherwise known as Regional Tourism Organization 12, the destination development organization for the region of Ontario that includes Muskoka. She's a local girl with deep and abiding love for our lakes and communities and joins me today to talk about how a regenerative approach to the business of tourism aims higher than mere sustainability and helps ensure that the businesses, the environment, and the people who live here, work here, and visit here can thrive together. You can donate to the Muskoka Community Land Trust by supporting the show on Patreon or on our website, muskokaclt.org, which is also where you'll find today's show notes. Welcome, Kate. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, finally. I know. <laughs> I'm very pleased to be here. Turns out people in the housing space are very busy. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> well, I'm sorry it took me so long, but here we are. I'm glad oh, to listen, be here with you, Sandy. I'm just glad you're here. I don't care how long it took. I want. <laughs> I, what I would love to start with, Kate, is just just tell us how Muskoka came to be your home. What are your connections here to our community? Yes. Okay. Um, very straightforward. I'm Muskokan born and raised. Yeah. And um, so I attended Bracebridge Public School. I attended Bracebridge of Muskoka Lake Secondary School. Uh, back then we were known as the Broncos, Ooh. not the Lakers. Yep. Um, and it's a point of contention between <laughs> the older generation and the young, I think. We'd have to have a basketball game or something between Broncos and Lakers at some point. Would pay to see um, that. Yes. And so, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm born and raised. My um, parents moved here from Toronto, so mm-hmm. they, they sort of settled in the region and brought their family along here. Um, I left. When you're 18, you can't maybe wait to get out. Yeah. You, yeah. you just want to go. Uh, which is still a problem today. And I think one that housing needs to address actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, so I left when I was 18, I was gone for 20 years. I was, I lived in Toronto and at 36, I could not wait to come back. I just had an overwhelming pull. I would go home from a weekend visit uh, to my family in Muskoka back to Toronto and just have tears in my eyes. I didn't want to be um, uh, in an urban space anymore and home was calling. And, you know, it's interesting because I was asked by uh, Destination Ontario, which is our provincial marketer, to participate uh, just explaining what Muskoka means to me for sort of a campaign they were doing overseas. And it was focused on the lakes. And so for me... um, and I'm not really a water bug or anything. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't sit at the beach or I don't, you know, jet ski or motorboat or anything like that. I do canoe that kind of thing, but it's more the pull of the water. Mm. It's sort of Lake Muskoka, you know, um, uh, Skeleton Lake. Anybody who visits them, lives on them, drives by them will recognize how special this place is just two hours north of Toronto because of the lakes Mm -hmm. uh, and the unique topography too. It just, you don't think about it until you're out of it, really. You have to go away to appreciate it. At any rate, I'm born and raised and 
came back when I was 36 to start my own family. And um, it's interesting. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion about regenerative tourism and regenerative strategies and whatnot. And that is all community-based. Yeah. That is all community-centric. Um, and so this return to Muskoka really probably planted the seed for uh, this work that I do. Um, and and I hope it will serve me well as we sort of move forward with a bunch of projects. Yeah, well, a perfect segue, because I want to know, what is the work that you, Kate Monk, do? Good <laughs> <laughs> question, man. <laughs> um, so, so I work for... I, I could maybe I'll start professionally uh, and then if we wanted to there was some time at the end talk about a, a couple personal projects that I That's do too great. okay good <laughs> um so I work for what a company called Explorers Edge and Explorers Edge is a regional tourism organization that is funded by the Ontario Ministry of Tourism Culture and Sport mm-hmm. Uh, they, there are 13 regional tourism organizations in Ontario, so we're one of 13. Um, and the region is greater than Muskoka. Um, it is West Perry Sound District, Almaguin, Port Laurier, Rastoul, South Algonquin, and Algonquin Park. So it is the catchment is greater, and of course, uh, all of that is on the traditional lands and waterways of the Anishinaabeg the Mohawk, the Métis, and the Algonquin peoples. Um, So so the purpose of the regional tourism organization model is, uh, I think it came about in 2011. We were established in 2011. And the point was to have a model that would allow for more streamless funding. So we each receive funding, uh, not equal amounts. Some have uh, get more funding than others. Um, And our job is to... um, act as a destination development organization. Um, and I guess, you know, what we do is we create innovative solutions for the for industry sustainability, uh, wider community development, and our own sustainability as mm-hmm. well. Um, and our mission, like I could even read out the mission to you, I have it in front of me, yes. uh, is, to, is to steward the regional tourism industry's recovery, because we're still in recovery mode, mm-hmm. rebuild, and renewal by developing innovative regenerative programs to ensure long-term sustainability and success for all stakeholders. So why that is interesting, and we'll lead into the sort of the conversation about regenerative, basically what we do, you know, let me make it more succinct. We're a destination development organization that champions the business of tourism as a catalyst for thriving communities. So let's put it that way. People will say uh, tourism is a sector. They use the word tourism. We have shifted language here to say the business of tourism. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's important too, because if you talk to uh, academics about sustainability or, or regenerative uh, regeneration in any sector, it's not just in the tourism sector, um, there's a lot of disagreement about what it all means. What do these terms yeah. mean, right? And so one thing we're very clear on is we are talking about business, not necessarily a theory, right? Or mm-hmm. anything like that. We're talking about the impact that business, which happens to be the tourism sector, can have to act as a catalyst to ensure that the businesses thrive, the employees thrive, 
but also the greater communities thrive. And, and that is so, uh, it's a shift from the way I think you and I, maybe as locals born and bred here and, and other people listening might think of sort of in that knee-jerk first response to the word tourism. I know a lot of us, you know, come Thanksgiving, we look down the roads and you can shoot a cannon down them and there's that feeling of like, ah, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about tourism, just as you said. So I'm really interested in the word regenerative. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's possible that, again, people listening to this might have one thought in their mind when they think about tourism. And I would love for you to expand on what the real opportunity here is and what's really going on when we think about people visiting and the businesses that serve them. Right. And so I'll just, before I get to that, and you, you, I've got a foggy brain this morning. The copy has not quite kicked in. So you may be reiterating that uh, question to me, but just however, to uh, well understand the importance of the business of tourism Mm -hmm. to this region, it is one of three that sustain the economies here. The other two are building trades, right? Construction or healthcare, which is also could, you know, looking for innovative (laughs) strategies. (laughs) Um, Tourism is massive in this region. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it is very important that we, we know that like 14% of employment pre pandemic was, was the number uh, for tourism, the tourism sector, right? It it employed 14% of people. But one thing about all of this, and we'll get into regenerative, there's importance in the shift to regenerative, to thinking about more stakeholders than just those trying to make money. Mm-hmm. So in a regenerative approach, in a community-centric approach, you take into consideration more stakeholders. And that would include uh, the operators, for sure, the businesses, but also their employees. How are they thriving, right? Mm-hmm. Also, it, would, it, 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 it uh, takes into account the visitor experience, and how that's impacting them. How's that? How is that transformative? Is it an authentic experience? Um, but it also takes into account residents. To your point, yeah. a regenerative strategy has to work hard to ensure that residents support the business of tourism as a catalyst for uh, thriving communities. And to that end, for all of those, so you're, you're not just talking about um, traditional measurements of uh, revenue right? Mm -hmm. Visitation and spend, as we say, you are taking into consideration, you know, key performance indicators, they call them way more holistic look at the data to say, how are all the stakeholders doing? And interesting, so we have a regional data hub where we go and uh, we collect data for all those stakeholders to determine if they are thriving. And we did do a visitor survey recently that the overall result indicated that 85% of the people in our region believe that tourism is extremely important for the economy. Mm-hmm. That's great. There are some negative, nobody likes, you know, over tourism where you sort of, you can't get a parking spot or, you know, hard to get into Algonquin Park in the fall or this type of thing. And so those things have to be mitigated. Um, but Overall, I think there is recognition that it is extremely important to the economy. 
Um, and that is probably the case for many rural communities. So to, to answer your question about expanding on regenerative uh, tourism, let's go back to the pandemic. So prior to the pandemic, everything was just going along swimmingly, really. Um, increasing revenues in the industry here, uh, increasing visitation, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, the tourism industry was the hardest hit, one of the hardest hit. And they haven't recovered. A lot of businesses have not recovered. You know, the, the, the extra whammy coming out of the pandemic of the increase in costs, supply chains uh, not being efficient, um, you know, inflation, on and on and on and on have not really given tourism businesses an opportunity to find firm footing overall. And, you know, add to that prior to the pandemic, people may recall that we had uh, flooding in Muskoka. Mm -hmm. There were wildfires in Perry Sound. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we saw a dip in custom this summer because of wildfire smoke, yeah. which is a new one. I don't think anyone had that on their bingo card, but <laughs> here we go. And so... One sees across the board an interest in building sustainable tourism. So let's start with that word, sustainable tourism. This uh, sustainable tourism has been around, sustainability has been around for a very long time. But it hasn't, you know, it's taking all these crisis, crises to sort of have people wake up to, well, what does it mean? In the meantime, in my opinion, as a marketer and as a communications person, there's been a loss of understanding of what sustainability means. So, so for instance, um, people think that sustainability means you got to get solar panels and you're going to be, you know, you're green, mm -hmm. you know, it's the green movement. Sure. It's not that it is so much more than that. It is looking at sociological impacts, economic impacts, right? Um, cultural impacts and environmental impacts. And additionally, though, what happens is um, people have used the term sustainability in association with the green movement so heavily, so, so skewed, that um, they've also used the words mitigate, harm, mitigate or do no harm, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where the conversation gets interesting. There is an argument out in the world of, you know, sustainability and uh, regenerative approaches that's, that suggests that this notion of doing less harm, do no harm, do less harm, or mitigating circumstances is now not enough, right? Mm -hmm. So, so and an, an example of that, I think, that I, I keep seeing is that I think recycling is on the uptake, but we're still producing plastic. Yeah. Right. So, so an example of that's, that is sustainability because we're trying to mitigate harm, but ultimately um, we shouldn't necessarily be producing it in the first place. Right. Right. Okay. I follow. Yes. And so I tried to think of a Muskoka example of mitigating harm on the lakes would be probably you know, using less gas engines or 
I don't, I, I don't want to offend anyone. It, just mm. sort of uh, using more non-motorized uh, vessels mm. than motorized. Um, that's how you sort of mitigate harm. How you regenerate it would be a program like the Friends of Muskoka and their wood fire ash program. Quick editor's note, Kate meant to say the Friends of the Muskoka Watershed here. They are they are uh, taking ash from citizens, they're collecting it, and they're putting it back in the lakes so that that ash can be a catalyst to um, the healthy, you know, water system, the watershed. And you had to talk to Dr. Norman Yan about that. I don't, I don't know all about that, right. but get him on your show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so that's the difference. So here, there are many definitions of all of this, as I said, and, and, and I know academics listening to me will, I, I beg their forgiveness. I, but I can only do what I can do for yeah. uh, the business of tourism. So whereas sustainability is about has become about doing no harm or mitigating harm regenerative approaches they they look to constantly create and nurture conditions that will allow people economies and environments a place to thrive to be resilient and thrive so you are leaving something better than you found it the camping mm-hmm. right yeah well that's mitigating harm by removing things you are actually creating the conditions for campgrounds to to, to thrive the oh. greatest example of regenerative would be farming right the mass production of food has led to extractive um production that means the soil isn't getting replenished. So now farming, you know, these are not new concepts, by mm-hmm. the way, regenerative, regenerative, you know, this is old, old timey, right? And certainly indigenous communities are yes. well aware. Yeah, of, yeah, predates the white settlers right? for sure. <laughs> right. And so the, you're taking, you're, 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 you're eliminating sort of extractive only and putting the conditions in to allow for um, not just sustainability, but allowing everyone, people, place, and planet to thrive. So, so that's sort of where the difference is. It's a hard concept to wrap your head around, um, perhaps. But if we just use that, I, and I'm stealing from a report from Wonderman Thompson. They wrote a, a report called Regeneration Rising. I, and I invite everybody to read that. It's great. Uh, that just defines it as creating conditions for people you're constantly though. I think that word is constantly. You are always looking to create the conditions for people, place, and economies to thrive. And two key things come out of this uh, for me. One is this is not something that is done at a at a national level. You can have uh, certainly Destination Canada, which is our our federal uh, marketing agency. They just just hosted their first destination stewardship symposium, talking about regenerative practices and the way that's you know we're going with all of that. But the work itself can only be done at the local level, mm-hmm. right? It is very important that communities are empowered. And the second thing to make this all happen. So to that end, I'm always like, you got money for regenerative, give it to us because we'll go out and do the grassroots work that that can only be done. The second thing 
that is necessary is the building of innovative networks. There are traditionally, um, you know, you can have somebody over there working on an environmental green project who's not paying attention to the fact that there's so much unemployment and lack of housing that nobody is going to care about mitigating harm or whatever if they can't feed their family. So, so a networked approach breaks down silos, right? Mm -hmm. And, and creates a new ecosystem or network of symbiotic partnerships of mutually beneficial and symbiotic partnerships that will allow everybody to thrive. This is none of this work is done in silos. And here you go. I'm on a program with the Muskoka Community Land Trust, which is all about um, conserving land for housing. I hope I got that right. And, <laughs> and I'm talking about housing when I'm in the tourism business. What yeah. is what is the tourism industry doing looking at housing? But it has to be done. It has to be look, looked looked at in terms of how can we help help our um, operators get a workforce while potentially helping to solve some socioeconomic problems, right? Yep. And ensuring that the whole community thrives. So it is a very holistic. It, it's really looking at a whole uh, systems approach. Mm -hmm community-centric approach uh, and building that. It's not, you know, I get people say you got to collaborate. You got to collaborate. Eh, collaboration for the sake of collaboration has done, been done many a time. It's how do you create that interconnectedness where it starts to, to work like a living thing uh, to ensure all boats float. And that really is, if you were to ask um, anybody in, uh, regeneration, they they will say you're ultimately looking at um, how natural systems work, yep. right? How, how nature works, and that it is all symbiotic, that it is all connected. And so how do you create that ecosystem and systems approach to sort of uh, do it in a business um, forum? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's draw it back then right here to to local. This is these are the kind of conversations I could have all day, every day. Like, let's just talk the theory or how it all how it all connects to each other. But can we talk practical for a minute about what you see as the interconnectedness happening here in Muskoka specifically? I know your organization is is talking about wider than Muskoka, but um, what what how how does this regenerative approach? play out here in Muskoka? Um, well, and we can sort of tie that into housing too, if you'd mm -hmm. like, because... Oh, you know I would like Everything's to. connected. <laughs> I don't know if you heard my last bit there. Everything's connected. <laughs> so, so, the, so, um, so we have approached, let's put it this way. Our job is to create innovative regenerative programs that will allow uh, our sector uh, our organization and our communities to thrive. And as I stated before, that means you have to sort of take a look at more stakeholders than just those interested in, in making revenue. Revenue is important. It's still great. We've got to do that. But we have to take into other things into consideration. So the interconnectedness here is I, we have come up with a program called uh, Catalyst Housing. Mm -hmm. And some people may have seen that we're sort of uh, 
the the concept for catalyst housing started in 2018 a while ago and then we were stymied by the pandemic and so now we've sort of got our our sea legs again and off we go um, and have just recently partnered with the township of huntsville on a little project to determine what the granular workforce labor gaps are Mm -hmm. the biggest hindrance to the success of the tourism industry anywhere in the world right now and other sectors too uh, is workforce there, there are labor gaps that are so significant. The operators who are already on a, under a lot of pressure coming out of the pandemic are not able to op, um, operate at full capacity to, to make the revenue they require uh, because they don't have the workforce. So, so that's massive. And so the two things that will happen if you talk about why don't people wanna work in the tourism industry and um, I know this, first of all, it's just probably general anecdotal knowledge, but second of all, again, we do research and we um, interviewed not only the uh, owners of tourism businesses, but also the current workers, the past workers, and the potential workers. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Go right to the source and say, what will it take? And so housing is important, right? housing comes up Mm -hmm. but also um wage comes up so the sector itself you know for a long time has had wages that have not kept up with the cost of living or now we know housing and this is all compounded of, of course by um i use the word gentrification but the the gentrification of Muskoka in particular sure. now, yeah. but in other parts too. And, and because, you know, go and you can go on our website and see all these numbers, a, a real estate industry will look at a certain number, a, uh, somebody working in employment services will look at a different number, an economic do- development officer will look at a different number, you know, on and on and on and on and on. But if you connect all that data and look at what that story tells, I'm all about storytelling. This, and that is a very regenerative approach is storytelling. The, the cost of housing in Muskoka, of course, waterfront is expensive, but non-waterfront is prohibitive now, mm-hmm. right? You, t- you tie that into the fact that one of the measures that um, um, an economic development team will use to determine a poverty level is is a measure called the market basket measure. Mm -hmm. This is sort of what's considered what you need to sort of be able to to buy everything you need, right? Uh, In in a particular region, it's put out, I think, by the federal government, right? It's a it's a measure that is used to just sort of be a tool. So the market basket measure, again, I'm a bit foggy this morning, so I'm going by recall here, the market basket measure in Muskoka, I think, most recently is set at about $43,000 a year. So that is what is considered by a government to be, you know, what you need to sort of survive on a salary here. I, I think that's low. Yeah. Listen, I've lived on $46,000 a year. It's yeah. low. Whoa, it's low. Yeah. From and then the median household income which one can go and look at um, the very fine reports that the district does, or mm-hmm. the Muskoka Community Foundation will do vital signs and stuff like that. But the median, sorry, the median income, not the medium household income, the median income in Muskoka is about $40,000. Yeah. 
so you see the the it's not a it's not just a tale of myth yeah <laughs> there is pricing that is is exclusive and you know the median income shows us that most of the people in muskoka are not able to be housed and if we as a tourism industry it, aren't able to be housed on that wage and if we as a tourism industry want to attract workers to our sector i would think it would be the same with healthcare with psws Absolutely. and whatnot. um then then we have to figure out how to make it worth someone's while to work in our sector there are 800 small businesses in my region so they're not you know you can find uh, uh big corporate properties you know the, all over we don't have a lot of those here actually we have some but we have small businesses and they can't here the tail gets a bit deeper they can't just jack up wage yeah because their their margins won't work especially food and beverage the margins yeah. in food and beverage are so small to begin with that you can't as much as you'd love to you can't just pay everybody forty dollars an hour right mm -hmm. so so here we have the tale of the housing is prohibitive we have a, a an industry sector and it's not just in our region they're there the sector itself is challenged by the entry-level position wages or the low wages in certain um, jobs uh, and how do we make that all work you're gonna have to look at innovative solutions that are not uh band-aid solutions yeah it's almost systemic right it's almost redesigning something so that you can introduce these regenerative practices of, of allowing everybody to thrive of symbiotic approaches and and mutually beneficial outcomes so in in the case of tourism with catalyst housing our proposal that is in return for filling these labor gaps that we have uh, we will offset the cost of housing in newly developed housing we will source the funding for so we're going to go out and get funding to build housing and we will have you hired on for a work integrated housing program that you know in return for short-term uh, occupancy of this housing you will work in the uh, industry to fill these labor gaps so that's a win for the operators they're going to get a, a labor force but oops sorry i got to <laughs> the muskoka train <laughs> there you go you can't avoid it um, and also you'll hear all my friends when they go by my house they honk it's crazy <laughs> how they behave themselves today i should have sent a warning out at any rate so if we 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 are able to attract the workforce in by um offering value added in in terms of not just the wage the wage we can't it's very hard for us to improve upon it's very hard for the operators to improve upon so we need value added value added is is taking the burden of housing off temporarily while we train you right while we we train you to hopefully move you up in your career uh, in a business career because it's the business of tourism so we're either going to train you in general business tourism business 
in business incubation or in succession, because right now there are a lot of businesses as the population grows older, uh, particularly if they don't own their bricks and mortar, that want to sell and they can't because uh, nobody wants to buy. So can we instead pair up people in this Catalyst Housing Project who are, who are part of the, the, the work integrated training to to have them move in to, to take over a business and make it their own? And can we have, here comes the network, can we have um, funders at the end of that will who will help launch them with supportive um, loans or grants or whatever, right? So, so there's that type of training. And the second type of training, I think, which probably be dear to your heart, is also, though, financial and housing training. Mm-hmm. How do you learn how to navigate this quagmire? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> of housing. Yeah. Right? When you're making a low wage. How do you get savvy enough to do that? And we hope to partner with a financial institute that will um, proffer up that training and and perhaps allow some people to re- receive a sort of designation that uh, because they've taken this sort of uh, literacy training in all of this uh, uh, makes them more likely to move ahead in sort of um, looking at mortgages or something like that. So in return for um, filling these labor gaps that we have that are often entry-level positions for a temporary period of time, we will offset the cost of housing for you uh, while we train you personally and professionally. So so you, this is now creating an ecosystem. It requires a network of partners. This is why you and I met, Yep. right? Because how can... Um, an entity that wants to build housing to offset labor shortages, work with the Muskoka Community Land Trust, for instance, um, all sorts of partners. Um, and the other thing is too that if we're going to build, this is you know sort of transitional housing that will that will look at segments within our community populations that might be elevated in life by participating in such a program. Yes. So so youth, right? Um, women make up the, the bulk of um, these positions traditionally in the tourism sector, but how can we ensure uh, by taking one of these entry-level positions that, that are probably going to you know, n- not serve their purposes, particularly if they're single parents, how can we make it a benefit to them that at the end of the program, they've moved up in their career or making more money? They are above that market basket measure that we talked about. Mm-hmm you know, through the business of tourism being a catalyst for that. So then you start thinking about, oh, let's go talk to the YWCA. Let's mm-hmm. go talk, you know, all these different programs. So you're you're solving a few things. You're solving the problem for the operators who need these positions filled. You are elevating people in the community through uh, work integrated programs um, while taking care of the housing issue by going out um, and through a community effort, through impact investing through community bonds, et cetera, et cetera, developing housing to make this all work. So just to sum up, I I don't think Explorer's Edge considers itself a housing developer. We consider ourselves charged with solving a workforce problem that needs require we look at housing as well. Yeah. And I just think that this is a really beautiful example of just as you were saying earlier, kind of community level collective action that actually, to me, there's the the other benefit 
that it kind of you didn't say was for people who don't feel like they are at all part like those residents we talked about earlier who kind of wave goodbye at the end of the season and go oh tourism you know if it benefits the community and this is going to sound so pat but it is true it benefits everyone even the people who are right now complaining nobody wants to work anymore and i can't go to my favorite restaurant because it's closed well restaurants for example that primarily cater to tourists live they're here in the winter too and we benefit we in gravenhurst where i'm from benefit from services that would not otherwise survive in our area if we didn't have people Mm. coming from all over the place to visit it's not just about business and services and money and income of course it's not about those things but you, I think, mentioned it briefly, you know, all boats rise, right? And the idea that we can invest collectively in the health and security and resilience of, in particular, a group of people who do a lot of the heavy lifting in our area, the service workers and then the owners of the service businesses, that is going to benefit everyone in a way that I don't think is, I don't think we'll see how beautifully that unfolds until we have a little bit more perspective down the road, but I have every hope. I'm very, very optimistic that that is going to unfold in very beautiful ways. So there's, there's my little sermon. <laughs> wow. Hey, thanks. You should come and work for the tourism industry. Um, <laughs> I think this is, we have to start, you know, this word tourism for me, I'm, I'm a communications expert and a lot of this is about language, right? Yep. That's why we shifted it to say, stop saying tourism say the business of tourism because it's big business it's huge right it is an economic driver in canada and you know my boss will get frustrated when a new somebody who's got to be trained as a minister or demoted (laughs) will get the tourism portfolio when our opinion is you know Give it to the top guy because it's massive. Yeah, It's small business, right? Primarily, which is such an economic driver. But in addition to that, um, this is about people. So mm-hmm. there, there will be these old stories told about, uh, you know, tourists going like everybody in Muskoka or where, you know, the greater region has people come to visit. Yeah. The definition of a tourism, I'm not, I didn't take a tourism degree. The, the tourism people are going to come at me for giving you. <laughs> Unauthorized definition. I get my hand slapped all the time. But really, a tourist is somebody who's coming from fi- like further than 50 kilometers away. Yeah. Right. And so. I can tell you when we we brought Porter Airlines to Muskoka, uh, our team built the business case for that. And um, we went out and had one of the biggest cottage associations uh, because, of course, you know, you had to have multiple audiences to use the service. But there again, it wasn't just exclusive to to tourism. And we said, how many people? So this is one of the biggest cottage associations. How many people do you have come visit you at your cottage on average from May until October? And the number on average was 17. Wow. 
those are called visiting friends and relatives. And it'll be the same in non-waterfront properties too. I have people come and stay with me in the summer. And what do I do? I send them out for coffee at some point. I send Mm -hmm. them to the cranberry marsh. I say, go here, go there, right? Everybody at some point is a tourism ambassador. They're coming to stay with you to go to the Kitabala for a concert, whatever it is, at some point you you are in tourism, right? Yeah. So you are and, and it is important though that your point about that, you know, we all like to go out and have a nice dinner or a coffee or, you know, so that's not exclusive to being a visitor either the hyperlocal markets, we call them, this comes out of the pandemic, where the low, this, this was the start of, of new thinking for tourism, mm-hmm. was that the locals were going to have, you know, we were going to have to ask them to target, sorry, not to target, to help us sustain the industry. Because we didn't have anybody to help, like we couldn't bring anybody in. Mm-hmm. So this notion of hyperlocal markets is extremely important. That was the start of the thinking to say for resilience purposes, for for the purposes of sustainability moving forward, you can never ever ignore or negate the local as a tourist in his own backyard. Do you know, and the real shift for me, I remember being that person. I've described them quite well, but I was that kind of person, like, man, tourism, go home, blah, blah. But the shift for me who was looking around I, I'm by nature very grumpy as a person um looking I am a lake girl I love when you were describing like being by the waterfront and paddling like I am I love paddling I love the smell of like those hot rocks and pine needles and like the mud smell of the lake all of that and when I experience that and then I think about people coming here to experience it themselves or to come for something else that maybe I'm not as into, like I wouldn't, I fine, (laughs) but why wouldn't I want to welcome them into this space that we are so privileged to live in? If we can all agree that by welcoming them and by them coming here to visit, it doesn't mean that we have to like wear it down to a nub. We can all enjoy it here if we can, if we can all agree on a way to do that, that, as you said, leaves it better off, makes it a place that next generations can live here and be locals or come and visit here and be welcome. And it's still here well, and still thriving. And a lot of that is answered through, and I'll just make a couple quick points because I know we're, you and I are chatty. Oh, but so chatty. A, a lot, <laughs> a lot of that is answered through um, a regenerative approach. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you are taking um, communities into consideration and residents into consideration, it's incumbent upon us to, um, uh, first of all, educate the tourist. During the pandemic, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I applaud them so much, is Clear Lake Brewery and Muskoka Beer Spa, because annually, they, since the pandemic, and particularly during the pandemic, when people were escaping from Toronto and finding the Torrance Barrens, as a party central, mm-hmm. completely uh-huh. on its purpose. Clear Lake Brewery and Muskoka Beer Spa, they annually organize, I maybe more than once a year, organize cleanup crews to go in and, tr- you know, ensure that the landscape is treated with reverence. So that becomes a upon us to educate the, the tourist or the visitor to say, 
here's how we can respect this beautiful place to to ensure we can all enjoy it, right? Another thing that is incumbent upon us, which we do a lot of work in, is what we call a dispersion strategy. So where we see incidences of over-tourism, um, we, we try to disperse crowds to like things that will still be of, of interest to them, but will uh, uh, um, generate less um, you know, busyness or volume at a particular uh, place so that you're not denigrating that place. And so you can do that. Also, that's one of the main drives of any tourism destination is to build the shoulder seasons, right? But that's a big thrust of what we do is trying to have visitation dispersed throughout the seasons, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, the point that is really interesting about regenerative tourism as well is that from a visitor perspective and from a um uh, a person who lives here perspective here we go back to that word storytelling is the ability of these two audiences the 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 resident and the um the the visitor to share an authentic experience right to share a transformative experience and to start to articulate an appreciation for those um uh, transformative experiences. So it's not just sort of um, uh, come, you know, just sort of have a general experience. It's more how can you have a sense of place instilled into you while you're here that residents have in their bones. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about too, mm -hmm. right? So oh, yeah. transform transformation through place is extremely important for the regenerative approach too is to offer up and certainly a, another great example of this i'll tell you is the great work that they did down at um, muskoka discovery center in mm -hmm. building their, their new sustainability exhibit was to ensure that the story of muskoaki was told yeah right muskoaki is the is was curated entirely in indigenous curation from a local first nations and that you know you think you know a place until you go and, and go through that exhibit and then you go i never knew yeah yeah <laughs> never knew, right and so these stories that can be shared between resident and traveler that's that is the epitome of hospitality mm. right it's the epitome of sharing a story and what do we all do around campfires we share stories right yeah, we're perfectly poised for this in our destination to to start to build transformative travel experiences, which yeah. is another job I got to do when I get off the phone with you here. Oh, geez. Well, I won't keep you for much longer. But what I really want to hear then in the end is what I want to hear from everybody. I want to hear your story about something big or small that's giving you real hope right now. I, You know, you're it's the same one I think that you'll see, too. Uh, in your work and why you're involved with the Muskoka Community Land Trust coming from quite a, a different sector that you did. The the fact of the matter is that um, the not-for-profit sector is being quite empowered right now. Traditionally, um, working in not-for-profit, and I've worked in a lot of not-for-profits, you're sort of seen as, oh, we'll throw some money at you or, you know, you've got some outcomes. The not-for-profits are being empowered to really lead these uh, um, community development projects, these capacity building projects, these social outcome projects that are gonna be of benefit to everyone in the communities. Because we see a, a little bit of, um, 
I don't know, you're probably going to come up with a better word than me. I'm trying to be very polite, but uh, <laughs> a little bit of stagnation and a little bit of just nothing moving. Mm-hmm. And here come the not-for-profits punching through because they've been empowered through social enterprise is massive, right? Through impact investing has developed enormously over recent years, uh, through community bonds issue. When we started in 2018, thinking about this concept, community bonds weren't a conversation anyone was having. And mm-hmm. now they are fueling economies and, and solving community problems, right? So I'm, you know, the destination development organization can solve problems that individual tourism operators cannot. And the fact that um, the board of directors for Explorers Edge is brave enough to shift to this model, they shifted in 2021, we, we put our regenerative strategy in place long ago before anybody else that I know of in this in this in the sector in Canada. This is great. Like we can do it. Yeah. It's it's really bringing together these very integral networks who are looking for symbiosis and mutual beneficial outcomes, but also measuring. It's not just KPIs of outcome. It is KPIs of um, the efficiency of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. How do we make that work even better, right? And so there are new, there's new sort of system thinking being applied to like, everybody took a breath and now we're all coming up with like, okay, let's try this. So there's movement forward. And I really think that it's, you're, you guys are a not-for-profit. You're looking mm-hmm. at, you know, innovative fundraising, and not even that, even innovative investment for the, for impact, right? And so there's hope. There's we can do this, and I and I I hope people will be of good cheer. I am so I am so looking forward to the tourism industry taking the lead to to being the business of cattle or business of tourism being the catalyst for communities, businesses, people thriving. Like holy cow, that's awesome. Me too. Listen, Kate, you have just given me a wave of optimism to ride on. So you have on, so much work to do. <laughs> All of us do. Uh, and so we're going to end it there. But I so appreciate you coming on it and just giving us such a thorough, you know, look at the philosophy. Well, uh, and congratulations and to you and the Muskoka Community Land Trust only started in 2021, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. And look at the amazing work, Suzanne, too. You're a great champion there as well. I, I watch with avid interest and I, I am quite certain we'll be connected into a network for mutually beneficial outcomes at some point. So right. you do your work and I'll do mine and I'll see you down the road. How's that? Right. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's a great note to end on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Home in Muskoka, a podcast by the Muskoka Community Land Trust a nonprofit dedicated to place-based, sustainable solutions to local needs, including housing, food security, social enterprise, and community spaces. Visit muskokaclt.org to learn more, donate, and get involved.